All right, Mark. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We had a little uh, prequel uh, talk session there, just kind of update on what's been going on. So last time we talked about psychopathy, we talked about a whole variety of things. Um, give me a quick update on what you've been diving into since our last conversation. Uh, you know, work-wise, there's still a lot of psychopathy and a lot of uh, substance use research, but been a little obsessed with the paranormal lately. Yeah. Uh, and um, diving into some of that. I think what started it was, um, did you hear about the, um, it's maybe a couple of years old now, but the, the Congress being briefed on uh, the UFO uh, um, videotapes from the Air Force pilots? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've been, yeah, that, that's like a, oh, you like, oh, dude. Yeah, totally. Anything that we don't know, I love trying to learn more about. And one of the, the paranormal, the alien, the, uh, possibility of entire another universe out there. All that is just super fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I, yeah, I was pretty fascinated by that. I, um, I've always been, it's not really a new thing uh, that, um, you know, we've got these infrared, we've got this infrared radar now. We, um, I'm not an air force pilot, <laughs> uh, but, uh, we, we, you know, so of course they're going to see, uh, things that they haven't seen before. And, um, uh, to, and in this case, it was to the extent where they're like locking on to these unidentified uh, flying objects or uh, unidentified aerial phenomenon, I guess is what they're yeah, calling U- them now. UAPs or UAEs. UAPs, or like yeah. yeah. And, and I thought that was fascinating, but it's it's not new. Like um, this stuff has been showing up forever. And uh, so, yes, people are thinking more about that, especially now that we've got um, these UAPs on mm-hmm. video and everything. Right. And there's pretty clear evidence of something. People want to know what it is. Congress wants to know what it is. Um, now are you referencing like commander Frazier and all that stuff? Uh, is it Fra- Frazier is one. Um, is he the, is he the one that, so there have been, a few been multiple. People, yeah. Yeah. A few people coming out and talking about it, but also the, the, um, a couple of the pilots were on 60 minutes and talking about what they saw um, in the air, uh, not not even on radar, but you know, just uh, visually. What did they see? Um, I didn't. I didn't see the sixty minute episode. Uh, it's it's hard for me to remember now, but I think um, they saw something traveling at speeds that they couldn't imagine, and it just sort of disappeared. It's a um, uh, referencing Element One Fourteen or something like that, right? Is that what they're talking about? What, what is that? What is Element One Fourteen? Oh, you don't know about that? No. Okay, so um, oh gosh, I'm about to get down to this rabbit hole here. But, <laughs> it is uh, a rabbit hole too. What's the guy's name? Oh my gosh. There is, is a it the research- Luis Alvarado guy? No, there was name. a guy who worked at one of the uh, Area 51 locations. I don't know if it was exactly Area 51 in the 80s, I believe. And he, they basically made him out to be a kook because he said that they were testing on aliens. Um, oh. His job was to uh, recreate, because they had a spaceship. Yeah. Um, Bob Lazar, maybe. Lazar, yeah, yeah, that's that's the name. Yeah. So Lazar, yeah. So his job was to recreate that element, and then everybody said that he was crazy, that uh, he didn't know what he's talking about. They kind of canceled him then. Yeah. yeah. And then about just a few years ago, I want to say 2012, 2013, um, they recreated that element that was being used to propel these ships at these speeds in the lab uh. for like point zero zero two seconds or something like that, and they dub wow. it Element One Fifteen. Um, and I want to, I don't want to, 
I think it's element one. I had to kind of remember what exactly <laughs> what it one was. Of those. Yeah, but it was one of the elements that had no. It wasn't following Newton's laws. There was no equal and opposite reaction. There was no propulsion for like jet fuel. When you use jet fuel, you know you have the the fire going off the back of the engine and it propels you forward. Yeah. There was none of that for these type of ships, and that was the element they just recently re- recreated. That's interesting. I remember reading his book. He um, yeah, he was thrown into a room with another guy, right? And they're not allowed to know the big picture. They're not allowed to know what the other engineers are doing. But his job was to reverse engineer this, uh, in in that part of the book, was to reverse engineer this box that was an anti-gravity device. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, these, these um, I guess I'll call it a ship, <laughs> these flying saucers, they, they don't need um, propulsion. They're just mm-hmm. sort of floating more than flying, right? Yep. Um, so my my recent reading has taken me down a different hole. Okay. <laughs> there are many you can go down. Um, uh, and uh, are you aware of John Keel? I know the name, but I yeah. don't know much about him. I think one of my so John, friends was telling me about him. That's about it. Yeah, he was a Fortean. So yeah, that's a term uh, based on Charles Fort's work, which is basically just studying anything that we can't explain. <laughs> uh, and sort of making lists of crazy things happening, like it raining frogs and things like that. Mm. Um, and uh, there was, maybe still is, an a, uh, International Fortean Society and everything. But Keel was a Fortean, and he was a journalist working in uh, – the mid to late sixties through, um, maybe early to mid two thousands. And, um, Keel was studying UFOs and also studying cryptids, uh, and studying what? Uh, cryptid is a, um, it's an animal whose existence is disputed. So, uh, Bigfoot is a, is a cryptid Mothman and all of these sort of little Loch Ness monster. Um, and uh, and also to a lesser extent, hauntings. Um, and he came to the conclusion that all of these things are um, a the same or a similar phenomenon that he called the super spectrum. Um, so so Keel um, went to Point Pleasant, West Virginia, in the late '60s, because all these people were reporting these interactions with Mothman, right? This, um, this like 10 foot, uh, bird looking thing, <laughs> giant wings on its back. Like, um, and so they're, they're, they're reporting this and there's this tremendous consistency across reports, uh, among people who haven't had access to information about the other reports. And that interested Keel enough so that he, uh, he flew down, to uh, Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and spent some time there. And as he was digging, he found enough evidence that it it took up a number of years of his life just doing journalism on that uh, huh. that phenomenon. Wow. Uh, so what Keel ultimately did was hang out in Point Pleasant and interview people who had supposedly seen this creature, um, and. Uh, then while he was there, there were all these UFO sightings. So it's like things were going nuts in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And these UFO sightings and encounters with spacemen 
et cetera, mm-hmm. were being reported by the population. And Keel himself was pulled into this. And um, are you familiar uh, with the men in black? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so the men in black supposedly show up after somebody's had an encounter, not just with UFOs, but also with um, uh, cryptids and, and other paranormal phenomena. And they say, you know, shut your mouth. Don't tell anybody what you've seen. And uh, the crazy thing about the men in black is that they were showing up at people's houses who had seen or reported seeing UFOs or uh, hairy monsters or Mothman uh, in Point Pleasant um, and telling them to shut up about it, even though they hadn't said anything to anybody. So there was no, these people were saying, you know, all this stuff happened and now I'm telling somebody, how did the men in black know to show up and tell me to shut up? before I had told anybody that I saw a flying saucer or a, uh, hmm. or a strange beast. Right. And so Keel goes down there and he's a, he's a, he was a, um, a good journalist. I mean, he did careful work. He wasn't about to buy into a lot of crazy stuff, uh, which is yeah. exactly how I sound when I talk about this <laughs> crazy, right? It's, uh, it's, and it is, it is, um, absolutely on the face of it. Just ridiculous. Well, but it's also okay to ask questions because uh, a lot of the things that we thought were crazy in the '60s have come to fruition today. These yes. I, crazy ideas about what, whatever the case may be, LSD research—that was a big one that we talked yes. about last time. Um, that was deemed conspiracy theories. So my question sure. is: today, what are we asking questions about that today would we would be deemed as crazy people? But in forty years, fifty years, it comes to reality. And it's interesting you should say that because Keel's uh, very optimistic position in the late 60s was, this sounds crazy now, but um, it'll be studied and uh, it won't sound crazy in maybe 2021. And isn't and, that uh, every type of major discovery that we've had in science, Yeah, everything from yeah. Uh, bacteria to uh, the way the solar system orbits to how that earth is actually around, all those were far ahead of its time. And the scientific yeah. community ostracized the people like Galileo, who first proposed these ideas, yet 100, 200, sometimes 300 years in the future comes and it's like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ostracized or, you know, some people are killed for mm-hmm. their heretical ideas. Um, heretical, so, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so, you know, I work at a medical center and I'm trained in science and uh, I'm a skeptical person. Um, but you know you don't bring this stuff up there. They'll <laughs> look yeah, at you like you're absolutely like maybe we've got to um, do an assessment. But on that you. just that boggles my mind, and it's so frustrating that that's the way our scientific and uh, medical communities are today. Like you can't ask these questions. You can't hey propose a possible idea because it's too theoretical, or you know, now you're a specialty in theoretical research, and then as you become a specialist in theoretical research, you've become a crazy person. And like like that's, that's exactly it. That's Makes exactly no it. And, and, you know, five years ago, I would have said the same thing, Caleb. Um, there's a real arrogance to it. Mm-hmm. There's a real arrogance to the idea that if we haven't um, using Western materialistic science, if we haven't uncovered it, then it's not there. And so I was, were, uh, so five years ago, you were like that. anybody else. Really? So what changed yeah. between five years ago and now? So, you know, um, I've had my own paranormal experiences that I, uh, 
have decided not to talk about today, which is of course, you know, but that's just, uh, just something I have to do at this point. Anyway, someday I will. Um, and so I worked backwards. Um, when you do psychedelic research, you begin to, and you're around people who are scientists, but also, um, open-minded and not necessarily materialists you begin to realize that, my God, there's a lot of consistency in the terrain that we're covering with psychedelics and some of these paranormal ideas. When you say consistency, what do you mean? Um, so uh, when people have psychedelic experiences, they sort of lose track of time. Time is not the same thing. Hmm. Um they feel as though they're in touch sometimes with entities in the, in a spiritual realm. And um, it's easy to dismiss ideas like that, unless you actually look at the evidence. So let's talk about the evidence. Like there's a, there's um, a good, a good critique of let's take Bigfoot, for example, you know, okay. So if Bigfoot exists, and, you know, we've, um, humans have explored so much of the world, most of it maybe, uh, to our thinking anyway, I don't think that's necessarily true, but, um, why have we not found a Bigfoot carcass or Bigfoot droppings? And that's, mm-hmm. that's a compelling question to me. And, uh, I think the answer is even more bizarre than, um, than I would like to sound, but what are you going to do? If that's where the evidence takes you, that's where you go. I think uh, the answer is that UFOs and Bigfoot and these other, these other manifestations of whatever this phenomenon is manifest for a bit and then are no longer um, visible. We can't, we can't sense them because they move it move to a, a wavelength that's outside of our perceptive abilities. Interesting. The reason that I would all put them in the same category is because I'm heavily influenced by Keel's writing and theorizing and uh, convinced that his research was solid, but also that the same sorts of correlates come out of reports of these different types of phenomena. So uh, a typical, a typical um, UFO story would involve maybe um, one's car malfunctioning and um, uh, seeing this bright object that comes lower and lower, and uh, um, and then a period of time is lost where a person can't account for the amount of time. Uh, that passed during the encounter, or they feel like they were entranced by either the light or a being if it comes out of the UFO. And then these people suffer sometimes uh, eye and skin burns as a result of their contact. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything goes quiet at the time. Um, There are just like, there's this visceral fear that's not completely accounted for by what they're witnessing. Uh, and may even occur before and after what they witness. So they understand something's not right. Um, there's a sulfur, uh, sort of rotten egg or ammonia smell. 
Um, and the, it, these are these are pretty characteristic of um, cryptid sightings and UFO sightings and hauntings. And it seems like there's a good chance that if we accept that any of these things are real, that they're all in the same sort of, uh, they're all operating through a similar mechanism. Mm, interesting. And that is what Keel eventually decided. I'd, mm. I'd like to go back a little bit though and talk about, yeah, you know, I was actually going to bring you why back. Would to- we, why would we believe any of this yeah. at all? Right. Like, because the typical thing, if you ask a hard boiled scientist, like, do you believe in this stuff? I mean, the, the answer is often no. And it's often, um, it's all anecdotal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, There's been no double blind peer reviewed study on this, these type of things. Cause it's uh, ethereal to a point. Yes. Yes. And there's not going to be one yeah. and uh, not anytime soon anyway. <laughs> um, but I'm in the habit um, of looking at anecdotal reports and then um, looking for sourcing. Uh, and then I'm trying to figure out what, how good was the journalism being done on this? And what evidence is there around these reports? Well, you bring up and a very you, interesting point. I, I, wanna, I don't wanna jump off too far, but um, no, I, had do, I had Dr. Zach Walsh on the podcast. We talked about some- Oh, good God, you okay? <laughs> It was interesting, but he made a very, very cool point that I, I, uh, I think me and a lot of other people in your world and my world forget is that the subjective experience is credible, specifically yes. in this world, that this idea that we're talking about. Um, it's so easy to just look at the objective, the observational science, you know, what is the standard of facts that we can base everything else off of, um, but with these type of experience that you're talking about, the subjective, like to the person, the, uh, like, like you said, the, uh, um, uh, what's it called? Anecdotal evidence. Uh, mm-hmm. It's so easy to throw out, um, but it's actually very important. It's very yes. key to drawing conclusions about some of these unknowns. So continue. Yeah. And this really gets to uh, an important, I'm glad you said that this gets to an important point about the difference between skepticism and narrow mindedness. I always want to be skeptical. I don't ever want to buy crap. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But but if you ask any of these scientists, do they read, do they read the paper um, or whatever has replaced the paper? Um, Like if you, what paper do you read? Well, maybe the New York times, because they are known for their, um, thorough reporting. Um, and they don't dismiss what they're reading in the New York times because it had, there's no double blind study or because, you know, they're, they're not looking for scientific evidence that the New York times is reporting a story correctly. They're looking at good journalism. And I think that's what we're talking about when it comes to the evidence for cryptids and UFOs and other paranormal phenomena like hauntings. Um, you're looking for good reporting. So that would include understanding the person, right? Like to your point, the subjective experience, understanding, well, what is, a, what is it about that person who's reporting these crazy things that makes them credible? Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing I found when I started to look more and more at all of these anecdotes that have happened since, you know, 
biblical times and I'm sure before they're in cave, you know, UFOs and cave paintings and such. Mm-hmm. Um, is that uh, if you interview these people, they're not looking for publicity. They're not psychotic. Um, you know, some are, and then you, you know, maybe um, question those reports. Uh, call that an outlier. <laughs> yeah. Call that an outlier. Although, you know, hallucination doesn't mean something's not there. It just means mm-hmm. not everybody's seeing it. Yeah. So um, the conclusion I've come to as I get further and further down the paranormal rabbit holes is that uh, all of the things that people use to dismiss people are not valid for any of any of these. It may be in any one case, but mm-hmm. that still leaves thousands and thousands of people um, seeing uh, UFOs or having even more bizarre experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very so, odd that there's, you know, tens of thousands, if not millions of people over the time of Earth that they all reference something very similar, no matter what very language. You're, yeah. You no matter what language you're talking, um, it's all what you talked about. Uh, it's yes. this weird, like you said, the car, the light, um, taken up into the ship, loss of time, sometimes mm-hmm. signal. all these things are very, very like in a typical research study that you would put together, this would be very, um, uh, how do you say like, it's reliable. Yeah. Like cross referenced overlapping evidence that should point to something is there. Yes. Very consistent. And again, these are people who haven't necessarily read the literature mm. or, um, or they just read the necessarily title. <laughs> had any interest in it before yeah. that. And then all of a sudden they're like, wow, the world consists of stuff that I had no idea about. Hmm. And so that's, that's one reason I really like it. Not just because it's weird, uh, which is fun in itself, but, um, you know, psychedelics, one of the benefits, one of the mechanisms of action for people is that they create awe and wonder and a broadened sense of. Anyways, I was referencing uh, Schumann's Resonance. Um, essentially, everybody has their, their money zone for your brain and your heart. Uh, like when you're resting, you know, you have all the different wave patterns when you rest. Um, yeah. The money zone for like your most relaxed state is between, from what I understand, seven and nine hertz. And that's, uh, I want to say alpha brain waves, or I forget which one is the most relaxing brain wave, but the earth has a heartbeat and it rests whenever you're in nature, away from urban environments and stuff like that at roughly 7.86 hertz. hertz. And so uh-huh. whenever you, whenever a person, like when there's electrical activity, when there's a, a big storm, a solar flare, like we had this past week, um, it affects and can spike the earth's heartbeat, which d- thus affects human biology. And so I've been diving into like what that actually means for anxiety and depression and um, why yeah. nature is so amazing for mental health. Well, it turns out that vibrational frequencies, we match those. And that's why with music, you know, the, the money zone for music is roughly 60 beats per minute. And so relaxing, listening to relaxing music does affect vibrations around you because it is vibration. That's all rhythm is. And yeah. so there's this common thread for vibrations, music, um, you know, urban environments versus natural environments and green spaces and how it affects our daily lives. And so you referenced the shark and how they feel these frequencies in the water. Well, humans can also feel that. And it depends 
on the environment that you in that gives you certain effects. Yeah, I think we're talking about the same thing. Okay, um, probably. So when Keel wrote about the super spectrum, he was basically talking about all the, the range of possible um, sensations. Uh, and as, as human beings, I guess there are five to 10% of us that can see um, well beyond the um, normal spectrum mm. in terms of uh, uh, visual fields uh, and, and some of the information that we can perceive in it. So we're all different. Yeah. Um, it kind of relatively similar. It also kind of dives into like precognition as well. This idea that you're talking about. Yes. Yes. Right. Um, which is, which is interesting because when you talk about the supernatural, you are talking about all of these, um, all of this information that we don't have access to necessarily, uh, normally. Some people may have more than others. Um, but that, Occasionally, it makes itself um, visible or audible. Uh, and then you've got a sighting, right, of something that, that people are going to say, well, no, that's not, that's not something I've seen. So it's probably not something that happens, mm. um, which is a very narrow-minded way to think. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what is happening with um, paranormal phenomena in general is that the uh, vibrational frequency is changing so that things become visible and then become invisible. doesn't mean they're not there anymore. Uh, it just means that most of us aren't interacting with them regularly. So with Bigfoot, with Mothman, with ghost sightings, you kind of think that um, the vibrational frequencies um, that we can tap into or not tap into allow us to see those or not yes and i think it's mostly up to them or up to whatever this phenomenon is there's no there's no saying that um these um uh diverse paranormal experiences are um what they appear to be when they manifest who knows what it mm. is really um because there's a lot of nonsense there's a lot of uh a lot of ridiculousness. For instance, um, you know, these beings often, whether they're aliens or whether they're you know, cryptids or it, ghosts or whatever uh, people want to call them, they often have these um, glowing eyes that are uh, entrancing. Um, and people report feeling uh, that visceral fear that uh, before they see these things, that so we're picking up on something and we're not quite sure what, and then the things that these entities, if you want to call them that do make no sense whatsoever. Like it's just not, they, they wander around, uh, throw some things around and, uh, you know, uh, appear in the night sky and disappear. It's just, there doesn't seem to be any clear, um, or obvious rationale for the interaction. So in your but kind of, seems, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Seems to involve our consciousness mm -hmm. rather than, you know, you can think of, you can think of these things that are being picked up on um, Air Force radar as um, ET, but there's no evidence for that. There's no evidence that something's passing through our atmosphere and showing up on our doorstep. The evidence is more that these are interdimensional um, dimension beings or phenomena. And that's, that's kind of what uh, a common theory is right now. 
um, is all these things that we're seeing or not seeing and the, the access door that we can see via the vibrational frequencies is dimensional. It's yes. some argue that there's about 12 dimensions um, and we're living in three or four. And yeah. what we see or not is based upon the door, the access. So like whenever we see uh, a being like an international being or an alien, whether or a demon or a spirit or a ghost or whatever you want to call it, um, that door is opened uh, via hallucinogens or some have used it using breathing techniques uh, called the third eye, um, the mm-hmm. pitu- activating the pituitary gland in a way that opens up and increases chemicals like DMT, like as we dream. That's why we see a lot of dimensional beings in our dreams because DMT is also created in our brains to quote unquote access that dimension. And that's why it can be yeah. kind of scary at times if you use these things like ayahuasca or DMT, um, even LSD and uh, shrooms in a way that can open that door because some argue that we're not supposed to ever even see that doorway. We're not, we're not supposed to be in that dimension. And that's why some people think it's scary or we get the presence of fear is because we're not meant to open that door. What do you think about that? I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether we're, whether I would say we're meant to or not. Um, You know, if you, if you think about psychosis and what people deal with when they have hallucinations and, um, access to too much information. A big part of it is an oversensitivity mm-hmm. and it's, um, it's an oversensitivity because they didn't ask for it and it's, tr- it's creating uh, very difficult lives for them. Interesting. Uh, but it's sort of the same process. If you take a hallucinogen or a psychedelic and you become aware of a whole bunch more information than you had before it. Right. And then that door closes. And once again, you're back in the, the regular Um, patterns of interacting with yeah so i i think that the paranormal is is similar to that in that um this this um for whatever reason um a great deal of information becomes available to us that wasn't before we Mm -hmm. run into the before we have a sighting of you know one of these either creatures or uh, so you kind of mentioned that there's something connecting them all that there is a mechanism that all these are kind of related to um, outside of humanity, uh, seemingly greater and more advanced than we are, whether that's dimension or whether that's technology, we don't really know at this point. What do you think that common thread is actually? So I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, and I would say that so the associations bet- among these things. So if you get, if you get a bunch of UFO sightings in an area, and it's pretty credible stuff. Like these are, these are people who are reliable and um, it appears that a lot of people are seeing things. You may also get a bunch of um, cryptid sightings uh, in the same area and poltergeist activity in the same uh, area. And Mm -hmm. so um, I don't know, but I feel like it's the same phenomena, like Mm -hmm. that it's the same thing, uh, whatever it is. And I wouldn't say necessarily more advanced. I just say different, right? Mm-hmm. Like these interdimensional, uh, objects and beings appear to, to have some sort of intelligence and the ability to shift frequencies so that we can tune them in. You know, Henri Bergman was a uh, French philosopher who compared consciousness to a uh, radio tuner. 
Mm. You can tune in certain things. And so yeah. we, we can mess with our consciousness with, uh, as you were, you were talking about, um, you know, maybe Kundalini, uh, mm-hmm. meditation or psychedelics or the Wim Hof method is, or, is the one I use. It's pretty crazy. What do you use? The Wim Hof method. It's uh Oh yeah. Yeah. I've heard of that. It's yeah, insane. I know like, people. Dude, I, I yeah. did it one time and I think on an exhale, I hold my breath for, I held my breath for three minutes on an exhale. Yeah. And it was the most like mind boggling, peaceful, spiritual experience I've ever had. Yeah. Crazy. And this is what, I think that's similar to something called holotropic breath work, which is yes. used uh, in the psychedelic community when they, when LSD was made illegal. Yeah. Stan Groff, who was a big psychedelic researcher, that's started insane. using holotropic There's just so many things that we can tap into that we're having it. Yes. It's all there. We just can't tap into it whenever we want. And I think sometimes it comes to get us right in these sort of UFO flap areas. And uh, do you think that those UFOs uh, are outside the universe or that they're inside the universe and interdimensional? My uh, just having read so much John Keel lately, I think I, uh, they're probably interdimensional. Um, and also I don't think there's any dispute, disputing that they're there. Mm-hmm. That something is there. That's not a matter of debate, um, but um, there's not a lot of evidence that they're coming through our atmosphere and showing up, you know, yeah. here. So, uh, so that, that mean, so that would mean that there's some massive time component that relates to uh, frequencies because we're seeing the same thing. Like you talk about cavemen and these type of same drawings that we're seeing today. Then, ha- there has to be some sort of time component that they don't abide by. Yeah, I th- I tend to think of them as outside of time. Um, mm. If you read physics even poorly, like I do, um, <laughs> there are you know because it's it's a little over my head, <laughs> which is an understatement. But um, it's not such a crazy thing to think that there are things that are within time and outside of time, mm. and that um, time is uh, one necessary component for time is consciousness. Uh, hmm. Why and is that? If, uh, in, in one minute or less. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could make up an answer, but it won't make any sense. Okay. So I think, I feel like that's a great time to stop because that will give us time to jump into time to jump, jump, jump into time on Monday. Yes, <laughs> so on Monday, but, let's have, let's do this again. Um, and let's tackle the idea of time consciousness and how it relates to what we're talking about today. Does that work? That works. That's going to be tougher, but let's do it. Uh, and so, <laughs> what, so are, what are we talking? We're talking like one uh, thirty or so. Uh, one thirty on Monday, or one thirty central, or no, Eastern, one, or what time would work for you on Monday? Uh, I'm actually I'm clear. Maybe we could start earlier if you can. Cool. I can I can start at like twelve twelve fifteen. That uh, sounds central. Great. So for you, it'd be central. So it'd be eleven fifteen, maybe eleven. Let me, yeah. let me get, let me email you and I'll or to, work out the time frame. It's the other way, right? I know, I know, I know. Let me yeah, email yeah. you and I'll work out the time frame. It'll work no matter what. And it's funny, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't lose the connection again. So, dude, okay. I know that's weird. <laughs> Isn't that's it weird? weird? All right. All right, uh, man. I'll catch you later. You. I'll talk to you Monday. All right. Bye. All right, bye.